Hello everybody, I'm Jacopo Dettoni and this is the FDI podcast. The Prime Minister of Thailand, General Prayut Chan-o-Cha, has just wrapped up his first visit to the UK and France since he's in power in 2014. He met with Theresa May in London and Emmanuel Macron in Paris to give reassurances over a long-delayed transition back to democracy, with elections now announced for February 2019, and promote the Thailand 4.0 vision, the vision that the government has designed to give new impetus to the Thai economy. Should we expect General Prayut to deliver on his promises and ambitious economic plans, and what this all means for international investors? I'm here in our studio in London with Dr. Lee Jones, a reader in international politics at the Queen Mary University of London. Lee, after the meeting with uh, Theresa May um, and General Prayut, Downing Street put out a note urging, and I quote here, continued progress towards free and open elections in Thailand in line with uh, international standards. So how realistic are, in your view, uh, these uh, expectations for elections in uh, February 2019? Well, just after the visit, uh, another senior Thai official said that the elections could be postponed until May. Again. And this is just the latest in a long line of uh, broken promises and postponements. And even if the elections happened, the idea that they would be in line with international standards, I think, is, is dubious. It depends what you mean by international standards. But the constitution that the military regime has imposed on the country is deliberately designed to be undemocratic, to boost um, minority parties and prevent the return to power of parties aligned to Taksin Shinawat, the Thai prime minister who was overthrown by the military in the other coup in 2006. So the system is being rigged, but they're not very good at rigging it. And that's why they keep delaying the return of democracy. Right. They also mentioned that now, but very recently, they also mentioned that they want uh, the coronation of... uh, Uh, the uh, Prince uh, uh, Vajiralangorn uh, to happen before elections. And some some analysts also read this as another pretext in a way for for another reason or pretext for them to create room for another delay. Yeah, Um, I mean, one of the reasons for the the delays has been the death of um, King Pumipan, the long-running Thai monarch whose whose illness and the succession question has been... Um, in burning along in the background of Thai politics for a long time because the current king's father was, was widely popular um, and he was seen as a stabilising force, although I think it's actually pretty dubious. I think he actually plays a fairly limited role in politics, mainly to justify and um, be the um, rubber stamp of military coups in, in practice. And his son was widely unpopular and deeply right. disliked. And so there was this crisis about the succession. Now he is um, on the throne, but not formally crowned. Um, so, uh, but he spends most of his time in Germany, not in Thailand. So, you know, arranging the coronation is not necessarily straightforward, as it may seem. Right. Let's see. Let, let, let's hear what uh, Minister Uttama Sanawayana, who is the Minister of Industry of Thailand, uh, told me last week in London. He is a cabinet minister and he was part of the, dele- the delegation that visited uh, London uh, last week. And I asked him about this very topic about the elections and this is what uh, he answered me. When Prime Minister Prayut met with the Prime Minister of UK, Theresa May, yesterday, uh, he assured her that we have a roadmap towards election, which should be in uh, February next year. So I think that that uh, has shown the commitment. 
So uh, it has given a very good foundation for uh, both sides uh, uh, agree to uh, enhance further our cooperation in many fields. And uh, th this is an important point. I mean, the fact that uh, the Prime Minister visited uh, at least uh, the UK and France uh, for the first time uh, since uh, since being in power, uh, I think is all, and kind of creating uh, creating the room for being in a way accountable. He is telling uh, his counterparts in Europe that there will be election. Uh, whether or not they will happen in uh, 2019, in February, it's another issue. But at least it's creating some room for accountability. And this is a major issue because uh, since uh, the coup... Uh, for example, there were free trade. Uh, there, there were negotiations for a free trade agreement between the UK and uh, Thailand that got suspended. Uh, now, um, apparently, they sort of started talks with the UK government for a free trade agreement in a post-Brexit uh, uh, scenario. But anyway, there is a whole kind of uh, di international diplomacy between uh, uh, diplomatic negotiations between. Uh, the European bloc and Thailand uh, since the coup um, yeah, basically hung there in the balance. Uh, so in a way, I guess that uh, this was uh, um, one of the main uh, issues of his uh, talks in, uh, in Paris and London last week. Yeah, I mean, the EU has not really known what to do about Thailand since the 2014 coup. Um, they're not very happy that there is a military regime, but the regime from the very beginning has been committed to the restoration of democracy, as military regimes often are. Um, and so what do you do in that situation? Do you impose sanctions? Do you try to coerce them? What realistically can you do? There's very limited leverage of, of the Western powers. And the, and the United States has been very worried about pushing Thailand into the arms of China as well. Um, the, the visit is an interesting one. You know, what was he up to? Um, why is he suddenly kind of touring European um, countries? I think it may be part of him positioning himself for a, a career as a as a quote-unquote civilian politician. There are question marks about his political future. Is he going to um, run for office under the restored democracy, quote-unquote? Um, he's been very uh, coy about his future. I think he's dithering about you know whether he would really have the popular support. Um, lots of fake polls get published saying how happy Thais are with General Prayut and how they'd like him to stay in power. But I think quite a lot of Thais would like to get rid of him as well. So this constant dithering about whether the military is going to kind of organise a new political party that he would head and he could become the new elected prime minister and whether that would be acceptable to um, enough Thais to make that work, whether that would be acceptable to Thailand's foreign partners. I think they're just... They, they're not very good at it, basically rigging the system. And so they're kind of feeling around to see if something like this would work. That's my guess about what that visit was fundamentally about. And obviously, I mean, the main, one of the reasons why we are we are discussing all this is that uh, Thailand remains a major destination for a major like, fast developing economy in, in the region and a major recipient of uh, uh, foreign investment. Um, but since the coup, things also, from their perspective, are sort of slowed down. The economy mm. is not uh, really running as fast as it used to be 10, 15, 20 years ago. And also from uh, um, a foreign investment perspective, uh, I was just like uh, going through the figures uh, this morning. The, um, right, 2013, the year before the coup, was was the record year for foreign investment. And then uh, uh, the inbound investment flows uh, kind of plummeted mm. over the past uh, three years. Mm. Um, 
so what does all mean the, the restoration of democracy or anyway the future of the military junta junta matters also from a business economic perspective and i spoke to um Simon Shell who is uh, the ceo of uh, a senior aviation who is an engineering engineering company based in the in the uk but with a branch in uh, uh, in thailand uh, dealing with aviation and i asked him about the business environment under the military junta and this is what he answered me since i've been there i've been through two military coups been doing things and the thing about thailand is business carries on there's a number of rich families in thailand that need business to carry on they're all in this bangkok center Okay, which is there's then discussions about how do we benefit and pull guys from the north, train them, teach them, because the Thais don't necessarily do that themselves. Okay, so from my point of view, these guys have laid some legal changes which are actually going to make it more difficult for anyone to change those laws. It's not democracy as we know it, and you don't expect it, you know, is democracy the right answer? That's a massive debate in its own right. Okay, in Asia, this works for Thailand, and they always respect business because it's never even been hassled by any coup or any disruption to government. So for me, what they've laid down is a pathway that's positive for Southeast Asia and Thailand, which in their mind, they want to be the center and the hub. There's no reason why it can't be, but they can't do it without foreign money. So it definitely touches upon uh, a, a couple of interesting points. So what, what his perception is that anyway, there is business continuity. There is still a business environment, which is uh, conducive to for, for, for businesses and uh, domestic and foreign businesses. But he also kind of highlights the fact that they need foreign capital and sort of assuming that uh, what I was uh, saying before, that actually in the, in the past few years, uh, foreign investment has, has, has slowed down uh, significantly. Yeah, I mean, his remarks are interesting. It shows really the very limited respect that a lot of capitalists have for democracy, of course. And it's not really true, as you've just intimated, that coups are, are no, no problem for business. I mean, foreign investment, as you say, is, is way down. And if you look at the 2006 coup, um, economic growth falls. And then, of course, you've got the impact of the global financial crisis. There's a big crackdown in Bangkok in 2010, and that leads to economic growth rates basically halving in the space of, of a year. Um, and then after the 2014 military coup, the economy has sort of stumbled along at very low growth rates relative to the region overall. Um, and one of the things that, that has really impacted, and this relates to the Thailand 4.0 and the Eastern Economic Corridor stuff, is the previous democratically elected government had approved a deal with China for a massive um, high-speed railway link, um, nearly 900 kilometres long. And that's really been taken off the table by the by the military regime, and they've only approved a section that's uh, three and a half kilometres long, um, partly because of concerns about corruption, partly because the military regime's not that interested um, because it can't profit itself from those kinds of infrastructure investments, whereas the purchasing of boondoggle kind of white elephants like submarines, for example, that's been fast-tracked, the importation of new armaments from China and so on. So it's not quite right to say that um, business isn't affected by coups. Who's in power, given the nature of, of state power in Thailand, in Southeast Asia more generally, who's in power does matter. Um, but the business environment in Thailand generally is 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 more robust than it might be uh, elsewhere where you have a military coup and you then get very, very sharp turndowns or business uncertainty. But I think this very prolonged transition where the regime keeps saying, 
oh, we're going to restore democracy, don't worry, you know, we're bringing stability back, and then nothing happens. It, it will cause um, investors to delay investment right. because of the policy uncertainty. And I guess also like the continuity of some of the, the, the things that are the policies they are trying to, to implement uh, remains a question mark. You know? Yeah, I mean, one of the things they're trying to do essentially is with the new constitution and various basic laws is entrench their economic plans as a form of kind of quasi-constitution so that it couldn't be amended by subsequent populist governments. Um, so they're trying to give that stability and certainty. But the big question mark is when the military finally step back from power and restore democracy, are, is all the institutional tinkering that they've been doing going to be enough to prevent the return of the clash between the red shirts and the yellow shirts that have affected Thai politics for the last um, 10, 15 years? And I think that's really open to question. I don't think that a few institutional tweaks is enough to eradicate the very deeply rooted um, social and political conflicts. And actually one of the main pillars of, uh, of the government uh, economic development vision is the so-called uh, Eastern Economic well, Thailand 4.0 and uh, as part of Thailand 4.0, uh, the so-called Eastern Economic uh, Corridor. Uh, which is basically uh, they want to, 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 to build up on the success of the Easter Seaboard initiative of the 90s, which actually uh, fostered and triggered a lot of industrial development in Easter provinces in the, in the region. And they want to, to build up on this success, so uh, turn uh, those industrialized uh, provinces, bring them bring them a step uh, forward to uh, from traditional manufacturing to advanced mm. uh, manufacturing and uh, when i was in bangkok uh, a month ago i met with the secretary of uh, the easter economic corridor office which actually they actually had a law uh, as you were saying a law that in a way crystallized the initiative as a in in a, in a very clear legal framework they established uh, Minister Economic uh, Corridor Office, and this is Mr. Kanit uh, Sangsuban, who is the Secretary of the, the, the EEC Initiative, and this is what he told me in Bangkok uh, uh, last month. Thailand 4.0 is nothing than the visions for the country. Why we have to do that? Because of the, because of the lag behind technologies of the Thai in the past 10 years, right? The Prime Minister and the teams of the Prime Minister say, okay, how can we drive the economy? How can we drive the country into the future? The, country? the, the key words come up is the technology and human resources. That's two words. Technology, you need to capture technology to create the value creation for technology in order to change the new way of living in the Thai people. EEC is a part of make Thailand profile into reality. Get, get some area. Get some area that, that we can work as a tangible result that can that can get the technology and get ten target industry down to the earth, down to what we can be practical solution to, to the people. And that's the easy come from. So in a way they um, two things here again. Um, the government wants to, to find new engines of uh, growth. It's, uh, it's clear that the economy is still, I mean, it's still growing at 4%, which for European standards, it's, it's a very fast uh, pace of growth. But obviously, for Southeast, uh, Southeast Asian standards, this is, this is pretty slow compared to, to neighboring countries or countries in the region, Vietnam, the Myanmar, etc. Um, 
And, and also, they, so they want to do so through the Eastern Economic Corridor, where there is an infrastructure component and there is a, an innovation component through those uh, 10 mentioned uh, targeted industries like advanced materials, mm. uh, electronics, and so on, so robotics uh, and others. Uh, actually, I was there. Um, th- this is a vision that has been in the air for, for a few years now, but actually the law was approved uh, just uh, earlier this year. I was in the area... Um, just again in, in late May and there is no actually tangible mm-hmm. uh, upcoming development uh, yet so basically one of the the, 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 the key uh, projects there is to make uh, this airport at uh, Utapau which is close to Pattaya a major international hub and then connect this airport to uh, to the two airports in uh, Bangkok through a high-speed railway. And again, there is no no sign of development, uh, uh, neither the airport nor uh, the railway. But uh, they started the bidding process. Um, they want to develop all these through PPPs, so through the involvement and engagement of uh, foreign investors. Um, and again, here it's a uh, it's uh, the, the the process is 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 kicking off. It's moving forward. It's it's moving its four steps. Um, what is your feeling about its real feasibility? Well, you know the the, the ties are confronting the same issue that a lot of the um, Southeast Asian economies are, which is how do you escape the middle income trap? So they've had very rapid industrial development from the nineteen eighties onwards. Um, and now the question is, can you move from heavy industry to a higher value-added form of production? And one of the ways they're thinking of doing it is building infrastructure, and this links to China's Belt and Road Initiative as well. And I think that the incentives that they've laid, if you look at the details, they're quite heavy incentives for foreign investors to come in. And so as long as there are no political controversies as there was, for example, around the Chinese high-speed railway. There's a lot of um, controversy there about the rate of the loans that they would use to finance it, and eventually they say, well, we'll finance it ourselves. They just don't have enough capital to mobilise. So they have to be willing um, to either borrow to invest, which very few governments are willing to do these days, um, or accept quite a large role for foreign capital, and they've been a bit leery of doing that. So that's one big question mark. And then the second thing is beyond foreign investment, that kind of industrial upgrading rests on uh, soft infrastructure as well, particularly education, skills development. And this is an area where Thailand is pretty atrocious, actually. Um, If you look at UNESCO figures, um, at high school level, people are finishing high school and about half of the population does not meet kind of minimum standards with respect to reading and mathematics, for example. And then skills development at the university level is also very poor. And that reflects a a university system, an education system more broadly, that is intensely hierarchical, that is more interested in breeding social discipline into young people um, and in reinforcing social hierarchies than it is, for example, in developing critical thinking skills or or enabling people to think for themselves. And that's what you need for a knowledge economy. Definitely. That, that's a very interesting point. Actually, when I was there at the, the um, uh, business reception uh, following the visit of uh, Prime Minister uh, General Prayut, um, I met with a few representatives of uh, British universities, uh, uh, particularly uh, from uh, University in Manchester and one in Liverpool, that actually are uh, in talks with uh, 
their counterparts in uh, Thai universities to develop research programs, but not just research, just graduate programs and upgrade uh, the quality that students can uh, can get through these uh, programs. And definitely, this is uh, a, a necessary step if they really want to 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 become a country. Uh, uh, fertile for innovation to 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 even being being in a position to develop their own technology um, they definitely have to uh, have uh, the human resources in place and so this yeah. necessarily leads to an upgrade of uh, the existing uh, education system as yeah well. and it's not just a technical question of upgrading you know so you just make some policy tweaks or something it's fundamentally it's a social and political question you know what kind of citizens are you trying to produce through your education system and the answer persistently in Thailand has been obedient citizens who kowtow to their social betters. Um, you know, university students having to wear uniforms and being forced to um, to kowtow to images of, of Thailand's former kings and so on and, and, be, and being beaten by the university lecturers when they refuse to do it. I mean, that's the image of Thai education. It's an accurate one. And we're talking here about the country's elite institutions. When I teach... Thai graduate students who come over here, they're from the country's best institutions. They really want to learn, they really want to succeed, but they find the British education system very, very challenging because we expect students to challenge us, um, to critique us, to take on ideas, to argue, uh, and to and to develop original ideas of their own. And they have not been prepared for that at any stage of their education. And, and coming here to do a master's degree in a, in a single year, they can't develop those skills overnight. So what's needed is a really really fundamental root and branch reform of the education system, but more broadly of the the system of social hierarchy in Thailand that that constrains education. That's going to be a really, um, that's going to be a real stumbling block for Thailand 4.0. And the the final issue is about domestic consumption. Domestic consumption growth remains very sluggish in Thailand. um, And that's going to be a, a key component of some of these industries. Until that changes, um, it's difficult to see how for, uh, Thailand 4.0 can can succeed uh, beyond the export economy. And that's fundamentally linked to wealth inequality in the country, which again links back to the wider social and political question. Uh, let's see. Let, let, let's also see what, uh, obviously, the, there are already uh, foreign companies uh, doing some advanced manufacturing uh, in the country, the country has become over the, the past decades, for example, a major center for the automotive industry, mm. which tends to be one of the industries that are leading the um, uh, innovation uh, across the board for, for, for different reasons, for the different components and technology that a single car requires uh, in materials, in electronics, and so on and so forth. Um, so... Um, I spoke to Ray Gibbs, who is the CEO of Haydel, uh, which is a British company that deals with advanced materials. And uh, I found these uh, remarks interesting because beyond the, the internal domestic challenges of Thailand itself, he puts the country within a regional context. Mm. And from the perspective of an investor that has to decide uh, where to locate uh, its, uh, uh, his investment. So this is what he told me. I looked at other countries. Um, I felt the, that Thai was more stable than, than some others. Um, you've heard about the Board of Investment. I think they were the right, the approach that they've made was right. They are open for business. Others are, are there, but I think the, the Thais are far more sophisticated than others around, around at the moment. 
other other peripheral countries will catch up but right now for us Thailand was the right thing to do the matter is that it's a great base um, the infrastructure is, is is there there's also a lot of inbound investment in the automotive sector aerospace is coming in both of those are going to use advanced materials they already do in part and so it's an obvious place to be we have a, a business that that makes we have we have a business that uh, produces um, biomedical sensor strips for diabetes testing and that we use a graphene ink which gives a fantastic first layer addition and, and stability and quality of result if you speak to a diabetes person some of the products that are in the marketplace today don't test well they get false readings or misreads and it can be a problem this is the project the product that we're producing now which is actually first class and that's all come out of Thailand and into Taiwan so in a way he, 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 he highlights the fact that yeah again Thailand vis-a-vis uh, to other countries probably is referring to uh, countries like Vietnam or Myanmar mm. um, not even to mention Cambodia or Laos obviously this Thailand is a definitely like a better probably a, a, a definitely a better location uh, for companies like Haydel that uh, deal with uh, some some more sophisticated manufacturing than textile than the, the, the usual labor intensive manufacturing that you would find uh, in Vietnam um, and this goes beyond uh, probably political uncertainties and uh, if you probably this is kind of a typical for investor for investor uh, longer view that uh, if you look at the longer the the, the, the long run picture so it, it, it would make sense uh, for them to to locate there as opposed to be somewhere else uh, in the region yeah I mean you know there are political uh, trends and froth on the surface but then there's an underlying material reality um, that changes much more slowly and if we think about the automotive sector Thailand has become a major production platform for automobiles um, serving the entire East Asian region so it's, it, it becomes a place where parts are um, put together assembled into um, automobiles and then exported um, often trucks and uh, motorbikes in particular, and exported to China and the rest of the East Asian region. Now, what's interesting about that is it's, it's an incredible success story in one way, but it also shows the perils for developing countries of adopting the export-oriented industrialization strategies, which is only being compounded by Thailand 4.0 and the plans there, which is most of the companies doing this are American... Japanese and European. They're not Thai companies. They're foreign automobile manufacturers. The parts in some cases are locally produced, but in other cases the components are being imported too. And so what's being done in Thailand is the assembly. And increasingly the local parts suppliers have also been vertically integrated into, into um, production chains. So the Japanese in particular have bought up a lot of local um, component producers and integrated them into their production facilities. So what happens is the value is all being captured by these foreign companies. The value being added is relatively small in Thailand. It's you know people physically operating machinery and sticking these parts together and then they're exported again. So it's fantastic for foreign capital, not so great for 
the local economy and that's that's where you get stuck in that that's middle it. income trap well that, that that's it that's exactly the point uh, that i also made today to the board of investment when i met them um and the same uh economic corridor office actually they definitely i mean at least on paper part of the, the new incentives are also engineered to uh, strengthen uh, link ups with uh, between the foreign capital and the foreign companies mm. and local suppliers, uh, local universities, uh, private and public research centers. Uh, but obviously, this is definitely um, uh, something that you always have to consider when uh, you know, when when you're assessing the the, the value. Uh, the uh, foreign investment can generate, and it's uh, an ongoing debate uh, in the in the industry. Um, how much value can we generate through? Uh, can we leverage? Can we can we generate through uh, foreign investment? How can we strengthen and increase the the links between uh, the, the foreign the foreign companies that had the technology, but not necessarily are always willing to transfer their own technology. Yeah, and uh, local companies, local local. Uh, institution and so on and so forth um that's definitely it well uh Lee, i would say just a very last question so if we if we frame a talent within a more regional perspective uh, um, how would you assess the state of uh, uh institutions in uh, uh in thailand uh, where, where is the country heading we are seeing uh, not just in the region, but all over the world, that uh, there is a sort of uh, there are these uh, strong leaders uh, popping up everywhere. I mean, we are seeing, like for example, in the region, the Philippines, um, always through a democratic process, but uh, Rodrigo Duterte uh, being uh, that strong, sort of a Trump, a Trump before Trump, because he was even elected before uh, Donald Trump. Mm. But then you see Europe, um, President Erdogan in Turkey remaining just being uh, just uh, gaining uh, a new re-election, President uh, Prime Minister Orban in uh, in uh, Hungary. So this uh, the, the emergence of this, uh, the rise of these uh, strong leaders. Uh, that seem to be to, to be kind of uh, uh, marking the a new political phase, where uh, where uh, again uh, the, maybe not not that business comes first, but uh, definitely where there is uh, some consensus over the fact that a strong leader may not necessarily be uh, uh, worse than uh, a democratic elected leader. And this, in a way, Singapore has always been a uh, a major uh, example for for this in Singapore. Uh, incredibly successful uh, economic story, not necessarily uh, perfect democracy, but this is a country uh, that many other countries around the world have taken as an example for the development of their institutions and economies so what what, what can we what, what is uh, what is the future what what do you see in the future of thailand uh, in terms of its institu- institutions so i mean i think populism is is on the rise everywhere um and it's on the rise because of common social and economic trends particularly the the decline of the national developmental state and in the west social democracy so we're seeing you know rampant inequality all around the world um which is not accidental it's the result of a particular way of governing the economy and people are reacting to that in different ways um people who are being uh, excluded or uh, marginalized um left behind by globalization 
are looking to to populists to solve their problems. But equally, um, centrists, the middle classes, also look to uh, to strong men to sort out their problems, to simplify things, to make things easier, um, to make sure that so-called good people are in, in charge of things. So in Thailand, you've seen the clash of two different sorts of, of populisms in a way. The populism of Tatsun Shinawat, um, who represented uh, a, a very strange alliance between big business people and um, ordinary working Thais, particularly in the, the northeast, but also in Bangkok, um, who you know fused those two agendas together, a big business agenda, but one that was also pro-poor pro for the first time, really, um, ever. He actually kept his promises to the poor for around healthcare and village-level development and so on. And what we see now with Prayut is a sort of centrist populism, um, some people looking for a strong leader to come in and cut away all the complexity, all the social conflicts, all the class conflicts that arise out of um, out of societal development and economic development and just make sure that the right policies are in place, that the, the technocrats can run the economy and they don't have to pay any attention to the to the the stupid voters, as they put call them. They call them buffaloes. The middle classes call the lower classes buffaloes in Thailand. In the same way that people sneer at Trump voters or Brexit voters in the West, it's a similar sort of dynamic. So the hollowing out of representative, representative democracy, the hollowing out of national development with globalisation, I think is giving rise to these, these contending forms of populism, not just in Thailand, but in the rest of the world. And I don't think that's going to go away because there are structural drivers to this. So imagine that when um, when democracy eventually is restored in Thailand, we will basically see two different camps, a kind of neoliberal, technocratic, centrist, middle-class-based populism versus a populism that fuses together the concerns of um, certain big business elites with ordinary working ties. Do you expect uh, General Prayut to run again for president in a, in a civilian uh, in civilian? Uh, Quite possibly. I mean, he does seem to be positioning himself, and he would be the he would be the populist candidate in that first mm. camp. Yeah. Um, whereas, and there's another kind of uh, leading Thai businessman who's sort of positioning himself to be the populist candidate in the second camp. So, the battle lines are already being drawn. But you know, who knows when we will actually see elections in Thailand? Perfect, Lee Jones, reader uh, of international politics at the Queen Mary University of London. Thanks for being uh, with us today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find all our podcasts on our website, fdiintelligence.com/podcast, or on ACAS and iTunes. Stay tuned, and until the next time. Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.